Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. Hello and welcome to the Love Key Church podcast, where we share our church's message of the week. My name is Heinz Winkler, and together with my wife, children, and our leadership team, we host Love Key Church here in Somerset West, online, and on this podcast. It is our mission to help you to encounter God, align with His purposes, reign in life, and help others to do the same. We trust that you will find this message empowering, encouraging, and inspiring. Please share it with your friends and family and write a review for us. And a huge thank you goes out to those who have already done so. May you be thoroughly blessed as you listen to this message. How many of you know where the word beatitude comes from? How many of you think like I used to think that it meant this is the attitude that you should be? Be attitude. Anyone thought that? Who thought it was beautiful attitude? Anyone? Was it just me? Maybe it was just me. <laughs> so the word beatitude actually comes from the Latin word beata sunt, which means blessed are. So beati or beatum means blessed. And the reason we're going to talk about this today is because I feel Jesus wants all of us to understand what he means by us being blessed and what a blessed life really looks like. So we're kicking off a series today called The Teacher. And I want you to see this beautiful image. For the first time since we have this church, no, please keep it up just for now, in-house. In Online, you can take it off. Um, for the first time, we have someone from our church who is an artist who jumped on board and helped me to create this. So this is brand spanking new and original. And can we just give a round of applause for Neil Brebort? Thank you. How beautiful is this? I told him I'd like to see some kind of an abstract version of Jesus sitting and teaching on the Sermon of the Mount, because that's what we're going to start with now, is a series on the Sermon of the Mount. And the first one, the first session today is called Hashtag Blessed. <laughs> but I want you to take a moment and just look at that, because what the world typically would say is blessed, and what you would put as a hashtag on your social media is typically when you're staying in a five-star hotel, or jumping off of some amazing cliff in a beautiful venue, or, you know, fill in the gap. There's many reasons why we would say, hashtag blessed. Some people who aren't even Christians would use it. 
And it has become a word that I think for most of us, we don't really understand the fullness and the depth of what this means. So I want you just to keep that in your mind as we go into this today. The, the innate meaning of the word, the Latin word that we get beatitude from means happiness. But it doesn't just mean the happiness that we talk about often. And if you've heard me speak before, you would have heard that I say there's a definite difference between happiness and joy. There's a well-known saying, happiness is based on happenings and joy is based on our relationship with God. So happiness will come and go as your emotions come and go based on how you react to a certain situation. And joy is more of a spiritual thing. But ultimately, it's semantics. You may say happy and mean joy. You may say joy and mean happy. So it gets a little confusing. But that's why today we're going to take a moment and say, okay, Jesus, what do you mean by being blessed? And what do you mean by being happy? And this, this original Latin word means exactly that, to be blessed, and that means to be happy. And if you, if you give it a full expression, it actually says divine joy and perfect happiness. But it's a state of, so it's a state of divine joy and perfect happiness, which means it doesn't depend on a momentary thing that happened that makes you feel woohoo, you know. I mean, people say money doesn't buy happiness. Nonsense. If you give me a lot of money right now, I will feel very happy. But it's an emotion as a reaction to something that happened now. And then that may subside when I find out that I need to pay tax on that money that <laughs> I just got. You know, there'll be reasons why I won't be happy, just as there was a reason to be happy. But that's why the source of our blessedness, the source of our happiness, of our joy, cannot be linked to our own human emotions. Would you agree? All right. I have a few more definitions, but I think I'm going to move along. So let us read the Word of God today and see what happened here. So I've already given you the prelude of how we got to the Sermon on the Mount and the beginning of the Beatitudes. Quick rundown. Jesus was baptized by John. He was led into the wilderness by the Holy Spirit to be tempted he was tempted. He, he overcame the devil by saying, it is written. He came back, started his ministry saying, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Then he started recruiting disciples. And then he started healing people. And as the multitudes, the Bible says the multitudes came. The multitudes came. Do you remember last week? when we spoke about the importance of unity in the church, that we also saw that the multitudes will come when there's unity in the church. Do you know why we experience the Holy Spirit moving today and people getting healed today? 
It's because of what God started last week already. I don't know if you realize that. He spoke to us about being united with his spirit so that he can flow through us and that we can see what we saw this morning. And now it's just another confirmation. So I want you to see, you saw that picture of Jesus sitting and teaching. So this is, the, this is how chapter 5 of the book of Matthew starts. It says, And seeing the multitudes, he went up on a mountain, and when he was seated, his disciples came to him. Then he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Excuse me? Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when, you, when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad. <laughs> For great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. All right. I want to read this again. But I'm going to read it from the Amplified. It's not going to be on the screen. I want you to listen to the other words that help us to understand this. And then I'm going to dive into each of these Beatitudes. And by, in about three o'clock, we should be done today. Matthew, <laughs> that's the right reaction, I love it. All right, so please listen, this is from the Amplified. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up the mountain, and when he was seated, his disciples came to him. Then he began to teach them, saying, blessed, spiritually prosperous, happy, to be admired, are the poor in spirit, those devoid of spiritual arrogance, those who regard themselves as insignificant, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed, forgiven, refreshed by God's grace are those who mourn over their sins and repent, for they will be comforted when the burden of sin is lifted. Blessed, innerly peaceful, spiritually secure, Worthy of respect are the gentle, the kind-hearted, the sweet-spirited, the self-controlled. That's another word for meek. They will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, those who actively seek right standing with God. For they will be completely satisfied. Blessed, content, sheltered by God's promises are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Blessed, anticipating God's presence, being spiritually mature, are the pure in heart, those with integrity, 
moral courage and godly character, for they will see God. Blessed are the makers and maintainers of peace, for they will express His character and be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for doing that which is morally right, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed, morally courageous, and spiritually alive with life joy in God's goodness are you when, you, when, you, when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil things against you because of me, Jesus. Be glad and exceedingly joyful for your reward in heaven is great, absolutely inexhaustible. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you, they persecute me. How powerful is that? Now I hope that that translation already helped us to understand the Beatitudes better. But we're going to dive into each of them now. And I want to, as we start, I just want to acknowledge that a lot of what I'm going to share with you today, I got from a teaching by David Pawson. Does anyone know David Pawson? He wrote the book, Unlocking the Bible. And he helped me to understand this better. So just, if anyone comes to me, hey, you stole his sermon. No, I'm saying it now. You know, we're spreading the gospel together. All right. So as we start the Beatitudes, the Sermon on the Mount, we have our teacher starting to teach the multitudes. So let's first look at the place, the people, and the purpose. So why does it say he saw the multitudes and then he chose to go up a mountain to speak? Now there's many speculations about why and how and exactly where it was. But one of the things that makes the most sense to me is that it lines up with Scripture. Whenever God does something significant, there's a landmark, and the landmark is typically a mountain, Mount Sinai, Mount Hebron. There's all these things, and Jesus is using that. Plus, as someone who loves sound and audio, I believe there was probably something about the physical structure of where they sat that created a natural amphitheater, and Jesus' voice could travel. The same reason why he sometimes got on a boat and spoke over water it amplified his voice. Do you want to speak with your natural voice to 5,000 people? You need some help. Even the Son of God knew that. The people that he spoke to, it says that the disciples drew near to him, and he probably began to speak to them, and then others drew closer and closer. Why? Because this man, who had just been up all, all day and all night healing thousands of people and they saw it and they experienced it is about to open his mouth wouldn't you want to sit closer and listen amen and he, he began to teach what is the purpose of his sermon the purpose is to give life I want to say life lessons but it's so much more it's, it's almost like he started to teach them 
because when we go on through the Sermon of the Mount, we hear how Jesus is actually enlightening the law, the Torah that they know. He's actually bringing it into what God meant by the Torah. And this, so this is a very serious moment. And when you, when, you, when you study the scriptures about what happens here, it's very significant that the scriptures mentioned that he sat down. The act of sitting down in that culture was a sign that the rabbi is about to teach something very significant. So pay attention. Then it says specifically, he opened his mouth. Why would it say that? It's kind of obvious. You kind of need to open your mouth to teach. Why do they say specifically, then he sat down, then he opened his mouth and began to teach? It's because that phrase, he opened his mouth, is also scripturally significant. And it means that the rabbi is about to reveal something very important. So every line so far is actually heavy with meaning. And it makes all of us have to go, all right, pay attention. Remember what I said last time? Paying attention is an interesting phrase because it should cost us something. When we give attention, we pay attention. Amen? And then the, the further purpose of this is some people have discussed this and went, okay, well, he's telling us how we should change our behavior. But upon closer study, what it actually is more about is Jesus not saying what we should do. It's who we should be. The beatitude, the blessedness, is a state of being, not an act of doing. Amen? And I, I believe it will become clear as we go through this. The sermon starts focusing on character, the content of character, before it focuses on conduct, your behavior. And I believe this is deliberate and important because a Christian's life is first what you are before it is what you do. Would you agree with that? But when you grow up in, a, in any kind of religious environment, in any kind of cultural Christian environment, then you will typically think, no, it is all about what I do. It's all about what I look like. It's all about if I'm on time for church or if I look a certain way or if I don't speak in church or all these things that you think. And, and that's kind of, some of us might still sit with that. Like, I need to do something to impress God. I need to perform to get Him to love me. I need to do this and this and this so that I can be blessed. But Jesus is saying, no, who you are in me determines how blessed you are. Are you following? All right. The attitudes of Christians are, um, are attributes that are important in the beginning and during a Christian walk. What that means is that some people look at the list of Beatitudes and think, okay, it starts here and it kind of progresses through the Beatitudes and I need to grow from one to the next. But what it actually means is all of them are important in the beginning, during, and as you go forward with your life with Jesus. They are always important. They are always at play. You don't upgrade from being poor in spirit and then like, I don't have to be poor in spirit anymore. You know, now I'll just deal with all the persecution. No, it's 
all of them are true all the time. You might feel the one more in one season, but this is something that's true always. So we've seen that blessed basically means happy. It's to be in a happy place or position, which typically means to have everything you need. A blessed person is one who has in himself all that he has to, to be happy. You have a state of happiness flowing from the inside of you. What does that mean? It means you don't need external things to happen to cause you to be happy. You are a well, and the well, because you are born again, living for Jesus, know Jesus, from you, from the inside of you, the happiness flows. The blessedness flows. When I was studying this, David Pawson actually points out that in the original Greek, the verb are is not actually there. It doesn't say blessed are the poor in spirit. It's more like an announcement, like a statement of congratulations. It's, it's almost like you characterize those who are poor in spirit and say, wow, blessed. And so it's, it's even stronger than going they are that. It's like that's what they are characterized by. And it's such a, a powerful thing to realize that it's a statement of congratulations in a way, making a fact statement. In our lives today, in our modern lives, we, as I said earlier, we've got a, a warped idea of happiness, and I think therefore we also have a warped idea of what it means to truly be blessed. Because some would say you are blessed slash happy when you have everything you want. How many will agree with that? I'll be happy if I have everything I want. How many of you have those conversations with your kids often? <laughs> Actually, so happy is a happy and then you say, that thing makes you not happy. It gives you a moment of happiness, but it comes from a different place. Some would say, it's, it's, so first of all, it's what you have. Then some will say, no, it's what you do. There's certain things that you do that gives you the sense of happiness. Like I've got hobbies or I love traveling or I've got a job that I really enjoy. What I do brings happiness. But the Lord's answer in terms of all these things is not what we have or what we do. It's who we are. And when your who you are is solid, when it is grounded and founded in Jesus Christ, then what you have and what you do will flow from there. Amen? And the great thing is what you have or don't have and what you do or don't do will not affect your blessedness because it is solid in Jesus Christ. James talks about us being tossed to and fro because of our doubts, because of our uncertainties. And I see people do this. I don't feel happy right now, so I'm, all my emotions and my state of being is affected by the fact that I'm not happy with my circumstances. What are circumstances? They are external. What does Paul teach? Paul says, I have learned to be content when I have, when it's a good time and when it's a bad time. That is when you know that your character is truly founded in Jesus. Our existence and the quality of our existence, our state of blessedness 
is mainly steered by who we are on the inside. And who we are on the inside is what God looks at. It is what he uses to determine who we truly are. You know the story about David and when he was, um, I almost said baptized, when he, when he was anointed by Samuel, the, Jesse brought all of his sons and they stood there in a row and Samuel kind of looked on the outside and assumed, it must be this guy. He's the oldest, he's handsome, he's tall, he's got all this stuff going, like this is the one. God says, no, move along, move along. He goes through all of them and says, don't you have any other sons because God says no to all of these. And he says, oh, I've got this, got this little guy in the field tending sheep and they had to call him in. And that's the one. And then the Bible says, because Jesus looks upon the heart, doesn't look on the outside. That's what matters to him. Amen? All right. So I shared with you how we got to this place of the Beatitudes. The question that I have, based on how we get to this point of Jesus talking about being blessed, is it possible that Jesus knew that getting healed from a disease brings you nearer to him and opens you up to salvation, but that a person still needs to make an ultimate decision? Is it possible that in the moment he knew that some of the people he healed could fall away if they did not get a proper teaching on what it truly means to live a blessed life? Because Jesus healed them on the outside, but now he wanted to get them to, to a place where they are healed and completely whole on the inside. So Jesus dealt with the outside, physically healing them, but now he's more concerned about us having that state of blessedness on the inside. Amen? All right. So our first one, blessed are those who are poor in spirit, for they will inherit the kingdom of God. Sure, beautiful. Now notice, it does not say blessed are the poor spirited, it does not say blessed are the spiritually poor. It says those who are poor in spirit. What does it mean? Well, to you and to me, poor is a relative term. It means different things to different people. You know, let's, let's get real. Some people who live in Somerset West, if you are below certain roads and above certain roads, the one below might feel I am poorer than the one up there. But then lower down, people look at you and the fact that you have a car makes them think, I'm poor and you're rich. And someone looks at that guy who has a bicycle, the other guy doesn't have a bicycle, and looks at him and says, I'm poor, you're rich. Poor is very relative. What does it really mean to be poor? Because it could mean that there's something that you don't have but then there's a further layer down, which is, I don't have what I need. Then you are poor. But then there's even a lower level, which is that I don't have anything. I don't have what I need. And I'm up to my eyeballs in debt. And there's no way I can ever pay it. That's poor. Because you are bound by poverty. Now, take that image and let's think spiritually. Have you ever heard the quote by D.T. Niles? It says, 
the gospel is just one beggar showing another where the bread is. The gospel is one beggar showing another where the bread is. What does that mean? It means that the moment we realize how nothing we are before God and how everything He is, and I take a real honest look at myself and I realize that apart from God, I am nothing, I can do nothing of eternal value. Then my pride is killed, humility rises up, and I'm able to be someone who realizes on my own, in my own strength, <clears throat> I am poor. I am up to my eyeballs in debt and it can never be sorted out by my own strength. <clears throat> Before God, I am like a beggar. I have nothing. I can contribute nothing. All that I should be and can be is up to Him. That is what it means to be poor in spirit. No more arrogance, no more pride, no more my own efforts, but completely surrendered and saying, I cannot do this. Can you see that? Blessed are the poor in spirit. Can you see how the kingdom of God operates completely different to how we see it? You are blessed when you are poor. What? No, 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 my hashtag blessed means something else. You've got it all wrong. I'm, I need the money to be blessed. Jesus says no. Realize how much you need me. Realize in what a state you are apart from me. Then you are blessed. And not just that, the reason you are blessed is because poverty of spirit in this sense leads to you inheriting the kingdom of heaven. It is yours. It, is, it says theirs, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You receive it. You get a portion of it. It becomes part of who you are. The key is dying to self. Do we understand the first beatitude? The second one. Blessed are those who mourn. For they will be comforted. This is, a, this is also one where you go kind of like, huh? This is the upside down kingdom of God. Blessed are those who mourn. Once again, if you can remember when I read the amplified version, it actually gave this away a little. What this is really about. It's not about people who are mourning someone who died. That they know, that they loved. It's not that kind of mourning. This morning is the one that takes place when you realize how full of sin you are, how much you need Jesus. And if you're going to mourn a death, mourn yourself dying. But it's not really that. I'm just trying to make a joke because you look very serious. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. When we realize that sin has completely taken over my life, that I need Jesus and I need to be set free from this sin, he says, you are blessed. Because now you can be comforted. And that comfort 
is not coddling. It's not giving you a nice blankie and a pillow and making you, are you okay? Putting you in cotton wool, just making sure nothing comes against you. No. I want you to see the word comfort or comforted. And I want you to see that that middle part, fort, is highlighted. Comforted. You also see it in the word fortified. What is a fort? It is an enclosure that protects. It's something that keeps you safe and keeps you protected from what's happening outside. Blessed are those who mourn about their sin and deal with it so that they can be free, for they will be comforted. They will be surrounded by Jesus and His power. Amen? So that you can handle what comes. All right. The third one. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are the meek. A lot of us make the mistake because of an old hymn that we think meek and mild and weak is the same thing. It is completely not. Meekness is powerful energy under control. Powerful energy under control. When you break in a horse, it is not to take away his strength. It is to control his strength. A horse that's broken in is meek. But do you want to go stand in front of a Mustang and say, hey, he's weak? No. Because just the one muscle on his chest will pop your eye out. Strong. To be meek is not to be weak. It's not to be mild. And in the same breath, I want to tell you, our Jesus, our King Jesus is not weak. And he is not mild. And he did not walk around the whole time holding a lamb walking with a stick like he needs a stick. He was a powerful, real man who lived a real life. And he was meek because when they were ridiculing him, pulling out his beard, hitting him, spitting on him, he did not react with the force of heaven with which he could have acted. That is meekness. Power under control. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. We have Psalm 37, verse 11, that actually reiterates this. It says, but the meek shall inherit the earth and shall delight themselves in the abundance of peace. What is this beatitude saying? Do not assert yourself. God will give what is due to you to those who don't grab it, but wait for him. When we can be trusted with strength under control, we can be trusted with owning and running the earth. You see that? We are blessed when we are meek because God says, I can trust you with power. Therefore, you will inherit the earth. So you can reign. What is one of our values at this church? Encounter God, align with his purpose, we can reign in life. Can you reign without power? No. Can you reign with power out of control? No. 
You need to reign with meekness. Do we see that? All right. The fourth one, hungry and thirsting after righteousness. Firstly, we are sitting in a very privileged area. Most of us in this room will have no idea what it means to really be hungry. Unless you've done a real 21-day fast or a 40-day fast, you will not know what it means to really be hungry. That, that pain that, that takes over everything, you can think of nothing else but the finding food. The same with thirst. If you haven't had a time where you didn't have a drink of water for three to four days, you don't know what thirst is. When Jesus sitting in the middle, in the, in the, exactly where he was, what do I want to say? In Israel, in the Middle East, where it's pretty freaking hot and dry, they know what hunger and thirst is. Just a few chapters later, we read how hungry they did become and he had to make food out of nothing, basically. They knew what hunger and thirst meant and he said, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. What is that? Right standing with God. What is it? Holiness. Being right with God means to be holy. What does Jesus call us to be? Be holy as I am holy. Be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. I said this a few times the last few months. Would Jesus, would the Bible dangle that carrot in front of us to be holy if it wasn't possible? It is possible. If we hunger and thirst for it. How strong is the drive in you for righteousness? In, in terms of the biblical version of righteousness, seeking the righteousness of God. Firstly, it starts with me. Am I righteous before God? Have I given my life to Him? And if I have, am I now walking in righteousness? Which means, does my life look holy? Is my life filled with the things of God? David Pawson makes a statement that shook me to the core. He says, you are as holy as you choose to be. You are as holy as you choose to be. Because hung, the, the level to which we are hunger, hungering and thirsting for righteousness is the level to which we will operate in righteousness. Draw near to me, says God, and I will draw near to you. The first move is ours. Make me holy, Lord. I'm not going to make you holy. Come nearer to me. Draw near to me. Let my holiness rub off on you so that you can become more like me. And then you will walk in holiness. To hunger and thirst for righteousness, what does it also mean? It means to be so single-mindedly chasing righteousness that you don't hunger and thirst for unrighteousness. And anything that falls out of what God has for us, Amen? The letters, one, I never know in English, niece. 
She used to say when she was little, ek is doors for cool drink. I'm thirsty for cool drink. I'm not, I'm not just thirsty. I'm thirsty for, <laughs> for something very specific. Drink water. Nee, ek is doors for cool drink. <laughs> and we need to almost say that. I'm thirsting for righteousness. I'm thirsty for righteousness and nothing else. Don't bring me something else. I'm thirsting for that. Amen? The next one. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Listen to this quote. Justice is getting what you deserve, which is punishment. Mercy is not getting what you deserve, which is no punishment. Grace is getting what you don't deserve, which is salvation. Justice is getting what you do deserve. Mercy is not getting what you do deserve. And grace is getting what you don't deserve. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Mercy is to feel compassion and an action that follows. It is in the heart, but it operates primarily from the mind. One of the best examples of true mercy we find in the story of the Good Samaritan. Jesus tells a story that the people of his time, when they heard it, they knew exactly what was going on. He said, once there was a man who walked um, from Jerusalem, I forget now the detail, but the path that he took was specifically to avoid going through a Samaritan village because the Jews hated the Samaritans. There was racism. So he walked that path to avoid a Samaritan. Then he gets attacked by robbers. He's left for dead. You know the story. A priest comes by and ignores him. Some, one of his own people. A Levite comes by and ignores him. One of his own people. Then a Samaritan walks by. I want you to think of the person you hate the most, which you're not allowed to do. But some, you know, if you're really honest, there's something or someone or you don't really like. And I want you to imagine that you've been beaten up and you're lying by the side of the road. No one helps you. Then this guy shows up, the one you hate. If you don't get that, you won't understand this parable. And you won't understand mercy. He not only takes him to an inn and pays for everything, he follows up and makes sure this guy is taken care of. That is mercy because this Samaritan must have known that this Jew will not appreciate it and probably never thank him and probably never see him again. But he did it anyway. That's mercy. I heard a story of something more real and more recent that happened in our nation. During the years of apartheid in one of the gold mines in Johannesburg, one of the managers, an older white gentleman, there was a an accident, and he fell under some rubble, and he was being crushed and about to die. A black man, a, a mine worker, went in, got him out, saved his life. A few days later, he woke up in a hospital. They told him the story, and he couldn't believe it that someone saved it. He says, I want to meet this guy. I want to meet the man who saved my life. And when the black man walked in, and the white man saw that a black man saved him, he turned away and didn't want to speak to him. Now, mercy 
is if that same thing were to happen again, if that manager would end up in rubble again and the same black man would be able to save him, mercy would be that that black man will do it again. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. The same mercy that God gives us through his son Jesus Christ is the mercy that he wants us to operate from when we deal with others. The sixth one, blessed are the pure in heart. This talks about holiness once again, a heart that is sold out to Jesus. When we did this series a while ago about who shall ascend, we spoke about that psalm. It says, who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? He who has clean heart, clean hands and a pure heart. This is what it speaks of. Once again, this is not something we do. It's something we are when we are in line with Jesus. I'm going to skip to the next one because we're running out of time. The seventh one talks about the peacemakers. It doesn't say peace lovers. It doesn't say not being popular. It, says, it doesn't say not placid. It's not popular. It's not being a pacifist. It's not being a politician. It's not talking about that stuff. Blessed are the peacemakers. Who are that, according to Jesus? The people who are the peacemaking agents for the kingdom of God. Jesus came to bring reconciliation between Father God and mankind. That peace. We spoke about it recently as well. Jesus said in one passage that kind of messes you up if you read it and you go like, well, we read in, in Isaiah that he's the prince of peace, but then he himself says that I did, did not come to bring peace but a sword. Where if you follow me, you will see mothers turning against daughters, fathers turning against sons. What does that mean and how do we understand it? It means that Jesus is the prince of peace because he brings peace between the father and us, his children. That is the role of his peacemaking. But... When he brings peace between God and a person in a home and the father of that person does not agree with the fact that this person is now in peace with, with God, there will be a sword in that house. There will be a division between the father and the son that made that decision. And in that sense, Jesus is the sword. This peacemaker that you're talking about, blessed are the peacemakers, are the ones that make or bring or has the ability to bring peace, the peace of God between man and God. And, they, and that's the ministry that we are called to do. Amen? Then we get to the last one, which is probably the hardest one to read. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. This one has the same fruit as the first beatitude, Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The same, some people will mistake suffering in life as persecution. And we will take scriptures that talk about persecution and we will want to apply it to the sufferings that we feel we are going through. We must be, be careful not to assume that some things are persecution. And others mistake persecution for tribulation. It's also not necessarily the same thing. The persecution that Jesus is talking about is the thing that he is very honest about throughout his ministry. He tells people, if you want to follow me, 
die, carry your cross. He said, at one point, he said to a whole crowd, if you want to have part of me, you need to eat my flesh and drink my blood. It got awkward very quickly and people left. His disciples were like, what are you doing? That was very bad for PR. People are leaving. And Jesus said to his disciples, are you also going to leave? He's like, you're saying things that are hard to understand. Did Jesus run after them and try to explain himself? No. He dropped these bombs all over the place and just kind of saw what happened. What was he doing? He was testing exactly what he's preaching. Are you poor in spirit? Are you merciful? Are you of pure heart? Because if you have these beatitudes, and Jesus says, if you want to follow me, die, carry your cross. If you want to have part of me, eat my flesh, drink my blood, then you won't run away. You will be drawn nearer. Can you see the difference? Jesus is always testing the true state of our hearts. And it's hectic. Why? Because let's be honest. We sometimes, or all the time, might decide how I am before God, and then I, I get to a point where I'm like, I'm happy with this. I'm like, this is fine. The, the amount of inconvenience and un uncomfortability that I'm at right now is what I'm, I'm happy with that. I'm, gonna, I'm not going to go further than that. And Jesus is looking at your heart going, okay, I can only do 5% of what I've called you to do because you are limiting me in your life by what you choose. Inside every one of us is the potential to bring heaven to earth everywhere we go. But it is absolutely up to us whether we choose to engage with what God wants to do. He's going to tell it to you straight. You're either going to receive it or not. He's always ready and waiting. He's always broadcasting in the spirit. But do you tune in? Do you spend time? And when you do spend time, do you humble yourself before God? Do you come as someone who's poor in spirit, who is filled with mercy, who is pure in heart, absolutely hungering and thirsting for the righteousness of the kingdom of God, for the things of his kingdom, for the things of his throne? Because to the extent that each and every one of us will do that, no, not do that, be that. I'm going against my own sermon. The extent to which we are that, because of Christ, that's the extent to which we will see heaven move in our area. Amen? Blessed are those who are persecuted and suffer for my sake. I want to show you something from Acts 5, verse 40. A lot of the disciples who were spreading the word of Jesus got into trouble. They were taken in, listen to this, 
And they, uh, this is the Pharisees speaking, and they agreed with him. And when they had called for the apostles and beaten them, they commanded that they should not speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. So they departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. And daily in the temple and every house, they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus Christ. Oh, did I not communicate that well? That was funny. The Pharisee says, don't preach in the name of Jesus. And they did not hold back, guys. These guys were full of bumps and bruises and bleeding. All right? It was, it was, it was bad. They were beaten with rods. Now I want you to imagine these bunch of disciples walking out of there kind of bleeding and broken and but smiling. I got, <laughs> I got to suffer for Jesus. We are laughing because we are nowhere near that. There's a story about people who were praying for missionaries at a prayer meeting in India. They sent people to a difficult place and they were captured and tortured in prison for sharing the gospel. And these Indian people got together and they were praying. They said, Lord, please release them. Lord, please help them. Lord, please get them out. And it was going around the room and everyone got a chance to pray. And when it got to this one man, he said, Lord, why did you not let me be honored to be persecuted like them for your sake? And everyone suddenly felt ashamed of what they were praying. And I can even feel the mindsets in this place being challenged in a big way. But that's what Jesus said. I'm not saying it, guys. Jesus said, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. How many times in your life have you been in a conversation, in a situation, at a workplace, at a school board meeting, at a church leadership meeting, and things were happening that were unrighteous, and something inside of you stood up and said, I should do something, I should say something, I should shift the atmosphere, I should bring righteousness into this situation, but you shut up because of fear of man. And righteousness does not rule. That is being more afraid of people than having the fear of God. I've had a bit of taste of what it means to be persecuted for righteousness sake. It sucks. It's not lacquer but I will do it again. If God wants me to, I will do it again. All it takes for evil to reign is for good, I wanna say, godly men to do nothing. Blessed are those who are persecuted for my sakes, for theirs is the kingdom. There's really one question for us today. Do I really want to have the kingdom of God? Do I really want it? 
It's a yes or no kind of question. Let's close our eyes and let's ask God to help us get to that place. I'm going to read these again as we meditate on these words. Let's listen to the word of God once again. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Thank you, Jesus. Did anyone realize today that I don't really know what blessedness means? And I need to up my game, all right, all right. Let's just all take a humble moment and become poor in spirit before Jesus. Realize that we need to mourn if there's sin in our lives. Realize that we need to hunger and thirst even more for His righteousness. Realize that there's so much more, so much deeper to go. Just surrender to Him right now. Just surrender to Him right now. Say, Lord Jesus, Holy Spirit, help me to get this revelation completely and fully. I want to live this way. I want to live from this place of true, complete surrender in you. Holy Spirit, strengthen me to do that. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Let's give our God a great praise offering. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you so much for listening to the Love Key Church podcast, Message of the Week. I trust that you had a life-changing encounter with God that will help you to align with His purposes so that you can be one step closer to reigning in life. And may you be inspired to share this with others. Have a great week and remember to listen again next week or you can catch us live online or come visit us in person. May God bless you and keep you. Make His face shine upon you and be gracious to you and your loved ones. God bless you. Bye-bye.